Welcome to Food Connection, the podcast where we talk about all things food and cooking and chat with our favorite Phoenix chefs. I am Pascal Dionneau, the co-host with Chef Lou Swartz and Danielle Sanders. Okay, so we're back with our Food Connection podcast. We took a month-long hiatus because we've been busy, but we're back and we're going to make sure to start putting out weekly episodes. So we thought today we would talk a little about a little bit about champagne because Pascal is a wealth of knowledge about champagne and I think a lot of people don't know a lot about it like me who try to drink champagne from a plastic cup at Donna's party and you told me I wasn't allowed to. No, <laughs> no, no, no. Champagne, yes. Uh, uh, good morning and uh, hi everybody. The... I do know a little bit about Champagne because I was born in Champagne and as a matter of fact I have three brothers and uh, all of us were all born in Champagne. My grandfather had a business in Reims, uh, he had a lumber business, uh, but uh, when you live in, uh, in Reims and you are a businessman then you uh, uh, a rub elbow with the Champagne maker. So yes, I do, uh, I do uh, know a little bit about Champagne and uh, since we are arriving, we are getting to the uh, holidays. I think it's uh, maybe a good idea to talk a little bit about champagne and uh, maybe educate people uh, a little bit about champagne, not just uh, the fact that you should drink champagne in the right glass, but uh, <laughs> maybe also know why why champagne, why are we paying over $30 a bottle for a bottle of champagne and we can pay six bucks, six bucks, pardon me, for a bottle of Prosecco. First of all, what you need to know is the only uh, wine that has the right to the name Champagne is a wine that is produced in a certain area in uh, France. And uh, the uh, Champagne region uh, is in a department in uh, France called the Marne um, and it is very, uh, very tightly delimited. And if you're not in that region, you're not allowed to call your uh, sparkling uh, wine Champagne. France produces actually a lot of sparkling wine in Bordeaux, in Burgundy, uh, in the center part of France. Uh, as soon as you produce wine, you can make uh, a bubbly. Uh, however, those are called sparkling. The, the whole thing about Champagne is actually tradition. And uh, labor, soil, climate, uh, the vine, everything um, is uh, uh, put together to make that great wine. In the Champagne region, they do make a few still wine, but uh, very few, as uh, they usually get more money for a, a sparkling wine than a still anyway. So let's talk about the soil, since I uh, said that it was really important. The soil in Champagne is chalky, and uh, there is a place in uh, around Reims uh, that's spelled R-E-I-M-S in French, and I believe we spell it R-H-E-I-M-S in English, or something like this. We call it reams in English. The soil is chalky, as I said, uh, uh, which means that the, uh, it absorbs the moisture and uh, when it rains, uh, and eventually brings it back up later on. The average height is about 600 feet over uh, sea level, with a maximum about 900 feet. So it's really not a, uh, a very high uh, mountainous area. The, uh, the vines are actually among the oldest in, uh, in Europe. There is, if you go to Reims and visit uh, Moite Chandon, for example, when you arrive, when you first arrive into the cellars, uh, they will show you in the ceiling, uh, you'll see marks of pickaxe 
that have carved the whole thing. And they'll tell you that those were done by slaves 2,000 years ago. And it's actually interesting, the further you go into the cellar, the neatly, the neater they are to the point where the modern cellars are carved with machines, so it's a perfectly uh, a flat ceiling and a straight walls. Um, the, um, as a matter of fact, the uh, underground of that city is like Swiss cheese. I mean, there are, if I remember properly, just Moite Chandon has something like 13 miles. Uh, so uh, there are over three, four hundred producers in Reims, so there is a, a lot of uh, wine stored underneath. So as I said, before the Roman get there, got there, they, uh, they already were making wine. Originally, of course, they only made still wine. So it was just a small wine that wasn't bubbly. So what happens and how did the Champagne were discovered? Probably everybody's heard the story. Uh, there was a monk who was a Benedictine monk. In, uh, he was the cellar master at the Benedictine Abbey in, uh, in that region. He was there for 47 years. He died actually in 1715. I have the note right in front of me here. And uh, so in the uh, 17th century, that guy, that monk, and his name was Don Perignon, um, had a, he was the, the cellar master. He had a little drinking problem. And uh, like anybody who has a drinking problem, he was hiding bottles left and right. And like any good drunk, he just forgot where he hid these <laughs> bottles. The interesting thing is he was trying to tweaking the wine. And uh, one day he just realized, uh, heard a bottle exploding somewhere. And... Uh, realized that it was one of the bottles he was uh, hiding. <laughs> and they were popping all over the place. So finally he grabbed one and opened it, and the wine was bubbly. Uh, he drank it, and uh, <laughs> the famous, uh, famous line, he came back to see his, uh, his monk's brothers, and he said uh, something like, hey guys, or, or I don't know how they called each other, uh, hey brothers, uh, I am drinking stars. Uh, famous line that was actually apparently uh, quoted by him and uh, basically champagne was dis discovered what happened is um, there is actually champagne is the only wine that has a second fermentation that happens in the bottle there is like any wine there is first a fermentation mm -hmm. that's done in huge open vats uh, then they just uh, um, bottle the wine and it goes back in the cellar uh, upside down, the bottles are upside down and they are corked or they are shut I should say with a cap that looks just like a beer cap. Then the, that fermentation happens during that time the, and it eventually turns into bubbly. But let's go back for a second and talk about the grapes. The grapes in Champagne are actually, there's two types of grapes used, Pinot Noir and Pinot Chardonnay. One thing interesting is the French actually don't call it red grapes and white grapes, they call it well, white grapes are white grapes. The red grapes, they actually call them black grapes. So Pinot Noir, which means like black Pinot, and is of course the red grapes, and Pinot Chardonnay, which is the white grapes that makes the Chardonnay uh, wine. And uh, the majority of Champagne actually are a blend of both uh, uh, red grapes and Chardonnay. And because it is uh, squeezed extremely fast, it has to be squeezed the same day it has been uh, harvested. So there is no contact, so the juices don't stay in contact with the skin. You probably know that red wine, if you peel a red grapes, you have a regular grape, just like a Chardonnay right. grape. And the color comes from the pigment in the skin. So they are squeezed, they are, uh, uh, squeezed extremely fast, um, so you don't have uh, any color. And you may have noticed, actually, that you can buy a bottle of uh, champagne that is called 
blanc de noir or blanc de blanc. You may have seen that mm -hmm. on bottles. For blanc de yeah. blanc, which means white uh, of whites. Uh, the second blanc has an S at the end, meaning it's a white wine made out of white grapes. So blanc de blanc are exclusively made out of uh, Pinot Chardonnay, and blanc de noir are made exclusively with uh, Pinot Noir. Mm -hmm. And the blanc de noir is actually a very golden um, color champagne. If you look at the difference between a regular champagne and a, and a blanc de noir, the blanc de noir is a little bit uh, more golden, more uh, deeper yellow color because it is made with uh, red grapes. So that's the difference between the two. But as I said, the majority of wines uh, of champagnes are made with a blend of both white and, um, and red. Yeah. They, uh, they harvest actually, uh, right now, they, uh, they just finished the harvest. Uh, it's done between the second and third weeks of October. Um, so the grapes are usually um, um, hauled away to the, to the winery and pressed immediately. So the, press, the pressing is right away, so the most grapes are red, as I said, and if they just stayed in contact, uh, you would have a, a discolored wine. Uh, they press four tons of uh, a grape at the same time, and uh, uh, they press four times actually. So the first press usually gives about 528 gallons of juice, mm -hmm. uh, which is a lot of uh, a lot of uh, uh, wine juice, uh, grape juice. Then everything is done in oak. They, uh, there is absolutely no metal that touches the um, the, the grape. Um, whether it's the, the grape or the juices. So when they harvest it in the, in, the, in the vineyard, they actually keep the, they have like a wicker basket. They cut, the guy cuts the, the grapes with little shears, put in his basket, and then there's a guy who goes up and down the, uh, the aisle of the, um, the vineyard, and he carries a big old thing on his back, just like Santa Claus, <laughs> uh, also made out of wicker or wood. And everybody just dumped their basket into his things, and he just go at the end of the of the row uh, is the the, the 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 tractor trailer or whatever is there. Uh -huh. The guy climbs up there and just lean over and dump all the grapes into a huge open barrel. And that's when actually, uh, uh, when you see people stomping on the uh, mm -hmm. on the wine, that's when they go. And I remember actually as a kid, uh, going jumping on top of this, taking my shoes off and you know, <laughs> shorts, and you just step on the on the grapes. The um, as usually the the the, the winemaker or the uh, whoever uh, does this, um, they can actually they pound on the thing to have a little puddle of juice in um, with the grapes and with a little uh, density meter which is very much similar very similar to the uh, the density meter to um, the bome meter that people cooks are, or pastry chef are using to measure sugar density mm -hmm. they figure out the sugar into the in the grape and it's going to tell them a, a good idea of how strong or how light the wine could uh, could be so the wine is just, as I said, no, it doesn't touch any oak. It is juiced and it is turned in barrel right away. Often they add a little sugar into it and they have a, uh, it has usually has an acidity, about 10, uh, a moderate acidity, I should say, and an um, alcohol of 10 to 12% uh, alcohol. 
Sometimes they add citric or tartaric acid um, and they do that exclusively in the uh, exceptional years when, uh, when I mean, the exceptional years, I should say, the more difficult years, mm-hmm. uh, as everything is strictly regulated and they're not allowed to actually water the vineyard, they're not allowed to cover the grapes if it rains or oh, if wow. it hail. And this is why you have a, uh, once in a while, you have an incredible year. And that's what they call millésime. Uh, millésime is uh, you're gonna pay twice as much uh, for that uh, for that bottle of champagne. The, um, so then the wine starts to ferment. It takes about ten days for the whole thing to ferment. It's pretty violent fermentation, just like any kind of wine. Then it just calms down. The bubbles quietly uh, 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 just come out real slightly, uh, uh, slowly, and they just uh, finish it for another ten days or so. So during that time, the sugar in the grape um, is um, converted into alcohol and carbon dioxide by the action of the yeast, natural mm-hmm. yeast that's on the, on the grapes. The, um, when the fermentation is over, the wine just rests and just clarifies. Then they pump the, uh, the wine into uh, other barrel. And the, all the stuff that fell in the bottom is called the lees, L-E-E-S. And that stuff is usually thrown back into the vineyard as um, fertilizer. Oh, okay. And they're not allowed to fertilize with any chemicals or anything. Mm. This is the only thing they're allowed to put in there. The, then they, uh, so each wine from each region is sent after the press is sent to different barrel. Uh, so you know that, uh, for example, if you are used to drink uh, Moëté Chandon Brut Imperial, mm-hmm. and you like that champagne, you've been drinking it for 20, 20 years, every year it's the same wine. Mm-hmm. Yet uh, it is made by nature. Sometimes the wine is great, sometimes the grape is not. So what they do is they mix and they blend the, the different wines to have the right acidity and the right flavor. It's called racking, actually, in, uh, in winemaking. So it's making putting an assemblage of wine from different vineyards uh, in order to, and they may have fermented and usually have fermented separately, um, and they just put them together to, uh, to do a uniform, consistent, consistent taste. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you're used to the thing. Then uh, end of January, they do uh, usually a second tracking and then a third one before uh, before bottling. The um, so they bottle the wine uh, about April. So the wine has been since October to April. It's been just fermenting and sitting in uh, in uh, in barrel. So when they bottle it, actually they add a a splash of uh, a solution of uh, cane sugar which uh, activate again the, um, the sparkling uh, thing. You know that yeast, if you, uh, if you make bread, you know that yeast feeds on the carbs, uh, mainly uh, the carbs of the flour, obviously the, the protein from the flour, and creates both alcohol and CO2. Well, here the uh, yeast in the wine feeds on the sugar that is added, and uh, uh, the wine is in the bottle, with a, a, um, a, what do you call it, a beer cap on top of it, and the bottle is sent back down to the, is sent down to the cellar. The bottles are upside down. And the reason, if you notice, a bottle of champagne actually has an indentation in the bottom of the, mm-hmm. of the bottle is for multiple reasons. Is First of all, if it has a flat bottom, the pressure of the wine will just crack the bottle. Mm-hmm. So that indentation reinforces the, the glass. But also they pile them up on top of each other upside down. So the neck of one bottle goes into the hole, you know what I mean, of mm-hmm. the, the one underneath, etc. And if you visit the uh, the cellars in uh, in the Reims area, you will see pile about eight feet, eight to ten feet tall, 
about maybe 15 feet wide, a mountain or a wall of champagne, and it goes on to about, I don't know, 100 yards. Uh, Moete Chandon is so big that they have a little train, electric train, uh, that takes you on the trip in their, in their uh, cellar. You stop the little train and everybody says, they say, you look on the left, and you see a, a, a corridor, I mean a cellar that goes on for like half a mile, and you recognize distinctly the shape of the bottle. Of course, the bottles don't have labels, and so you recognize the uh, uh, the balls of the shape of the Dom Perignon bottles. Mm -hmm. And you say, oops, are those Dom Perignon? And they guys say, yep, there's about two million bottles of Dom Perignon champagne back there. So it, it's absolutely mind-boggling uh, to see that kind of stuff. The, so during that time, there is a second fermentation that happens in the bottles, as I said earlier, which is really the unique thing of champagne. Um, the, um, then, as you probably know, they, uh, uh, when you have fermentation, then you have residue that forms in the bottles. So there's the, uh, the whole system, you know, you, you, you probably have seen this, of shaking the bottles. They put, they put them on slots. Mm -hmm. And first, the bottle is almost upside down. And every day, the guy shakes it like a quarter of a turn or so, give it a little shake to loosen the, uh, the, 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 what do you call it? The sediment, yeah. yeah, and then lift the bottle just a little bit. So after doing this, I don't know how many times he does this, uh, the bottle is literally upside down now instead of being uh, uh, flat. And all the sediment are in the neck of the bottle. Then they just take all those bottles back up to the uh, to the winery above. And uh, today what they do is they actually, the, the bottle goes down and they freeze the neck of the uh, bottle in liquid nitrogen uh -huh. and then there's a system that removes that beer cap flip the bottles the pressure just eject that cork like frozen <laughs> stuff that is the sediment yeah. and and then you have your bottle of champagne that is open and another thing that most people don't know is at that point actually it's called the dosage uh, adding the dose of sugar uh, there is different types of champagne. There is brut, which is what probably everybody knows, mm -hmm. and then there is extra dry, dry, semi-dry, and sweet. So there is uh, five different types of champagne. The American taste is usually to uh, dry, brut, and extra dry, so it's going to be very difficult to find a semi-dry or sweet champagne in the U.S. Uh, I believe the German and the Australian, if I remember properly, are very fond of much sweeter champagne. So they just uh, add more sugar and uh, with an addition of, uh, of wine to top it off. And since they remove the, um, the sediment, but they make sure at this time they actually add an inverted sugar so they don't put, they don't start a third fermentation. Uh -huh. So usually brut, uh, they add up to one and a half percent of uh, sugar, extra dry one to two percent, dry two to four percent, etc. And sweet champagne may have up to 10 percent champagne, uh, sugar added to it. And then finally, here comes the final corking. And as you know, the cork, champagne cork is actually a big cylinder weigh twice the size of a regular uh, wine and they mm -hmm. squeeze half of it and they only put half of the uh, cork down it and then put that little, uh, uh, which I don't know the name, the cage I think they call it in English, uh, the atle, the little uh, wire, wire right. thing. Which by the way, every bottle of champagne uh, is six half turn to uh, undo the little wire thing oh. so you can do it at night in the dark. <laughs> 
they at that point the uh, champagne is then dressed up the bottles get it, well it's uh, a gold uh, cap on top and they uh, label corresponding of course to the uh, the wine that's inside it is then uh, goes in boxes and it goes back in uh, storage they, the french have learned a big lesson uh, with two world wars the first world war 100 years ago actually was uh, pretty rough for the champagne region since most of the battle actually took place right there um, the so uh, you had a world war for four years in the first one for example well after four years there was no champagne and you can't just say well let's just uh, bring it out it takes a couple of years to produce champagne mm -hmm. so they had to wait so today they have i heard i hear that every champagne house has two years reserve of champagne in their cellar so they keep their champagne for a year or two and then they release it, of course. As uh, you probably know, that champagne does not age. Like a uh, maximum age for champagne is about ten years, mm -hmm. unless it's a millisim, and yet it's more of a collector item than a, if you have a 1961 uh, Dom Pérignon. Uh, God knows if it's good or not. Right. Uh, it probably, if it's not open, maybe somebody's gonna pay. Uh, a few, uh, you know, four, five, six hundred dollars for it because they're missing that year and they they do like a, a whole collection mm -hmm. of stuff. So champagne is not like a a, a great Burgundy or a great Bordeaux that will age uh, when it's preserved properly. You keep your champagne in the fridge. When you buy champagne, it's ready to drink. Mm -hmm. uh, opposed to Bordeaux, you buy a good case of Bordeaux, uh, you should put it away for for a good ten years before you drink it. So that's the fun thing about champagne. You buy it, uh, and any good house should have a, a, a few bottles of champagne in the fridge, of course. The, what else do we need to, to talk about champagne? I think I covered just about the whole making of it. Now, yeah. uh, opening champagne, yes. Oh, I have that question. So the millisim are the best years, and those are labeled, right? And then the yes. others... Yes, the others usually don't have any... Because they're uh, blended. Uh, thing. Yes, you could see, they call it envy, non-vintage... Or they usually don't do this, okay. and uh, and you know, and they have a name like, uh, as I said, Moët Chardonnay Brut Imperial. Mm -hmm. uh, it's gonna be the same champagne year after year after year. Got it. What else do I want to say? So yeah, ten years is the maximum you want to keep. Uh, oh, I forgot. I need to talk to you a little bit about the uh, the size of the bottles. You probably know that uh, uh, champagne comes in different sizes. The classic bottle is just a, a regular bottle, which is 750 milliliter, like any kind of bottles. Half a bottle, well, it's 375, and they do a split. The split is like 187 milliliter, mm -hmm. which is basically two, uh, two small glasses. Um, then you have the Magnum. Magnum is one and a half liter, which is the equivalent of two bottles. Then you have the Jeroboam, which is three liter, or the equivalent of four bottles. Uh, Methuselah, uh, Methuselah, I forgot who, uh, how you call, you call him in English, uh, which is six liter or eight bottles, and the Salmanazar, which is actually 12 bottles, a, a whole <laughs> case in one bottle. The champagne is exclusively fermented. The second fermentation happens in half bottle, full bottles, and magnum. The others are actually poured into it oh. and then poured. <laughs> so when you buy a Salmanazar, which is a 12 bottles in uh -huh. 12, a whole case in one bottle, you, you're going to have to order it ahead of time. And don't expect the best champagne out of that bottle. It's yeah. more of a, you know, a birthday, a huge anniversary right. or something crazy. Uh, it's more of a show than, uh, than, than a top quality uh, champagne, but it's kind of fun. I remember actually visiting, uh, uh, last time I was in Reims, visiting uh, Veuve Clicquot, 
and they had a Salmanazar in a box. Uh, uh, and I took a picture of it and I put my foot next to it actually to your comparison. Yeah. My foot was about smaller than the whole neck of the bottle. Oh wow. Yeah. It was, uh, it was pretty crazy. Champagne is served chilled, um, but not, uh, not ice cold. And uh, they say, everybody says, you should take your champagne out of your cellar and keep it in the fridge for more than four hours. Mm -hmm. I say, you should have champagne in your fridge all the time. <laughs> and uh, the, um, you, when you open a bottle of champagne, actually, you first remove the little um, silver thing on top. You don't remove the whole thing, just the top. You remove the, uh, the little metal cage. And then you, one hand holds the neck of the bottle, the other hand holds the, uh, the cork, and you actually twist the bottle, not the cork. And you hold the cork and twist the bottle, and you hold it, a, a, champagne, a bottle of champagne that opens should do just a tiny little pop. I mean, you should not have the bang <laughs> with the, uh, the cork flying all the way, and knocking, the down, the, knock, knocking <laughs> down the, the, the light fixture and the whole thing. Everybody's screaming. Uh, that's, that's fine at the uh, Formula One Grand Prix. You know what I mean, they have the magnum and they just shake it. Uh, it should be extremely dis discreet. And the best way to serve champagne is in a flute. The flute is the tall, narrow glass. Uh, during one time, actually, and it was during the Napoleonic War, Napoleon was very fond of champagne, and uh, he spent his time uh, waging wars, so he was away from home most of the time. And it was the time where they made, they did war, so uh, the French were on a hill, and uh, the enemy was on the other hill, and they set up their tent and their thing, and he had his cooks and his kitchens and, uh, and the mm -hmm. whole thing, and they went down in the valley, and bam, they killed each other all day long, and at night, everybody would just go back and forget to sleep and uh, the next morning they were going to kill each other again <laughs> um, the uh, and as you remember the pictures I mean they all wore bright red uh, bright red uniform uh -huh. and it was completely insane <laughs> the, the, the art of war was very very strange and every time uh, Napoleon won a uh, battle he drank champagne and they had a big a big feast and uh, he actually the legend is that he drank champagne in what the French called a coupe uh, C-O-U-P-E, which is that flat, I don't know, I forgot what it's called in English, that flat glass of mm -hmm. champagne. It's on a stem, right. but it's way open yeah. rather than being uh, I thing. kind of a pain, uh, like a round martini glass, yeah. kind of a pain to carry actually uh -huh. when it's filled to the rim. Um, and the legend is that the, uh, the, sh the, the glass was shaped after uh, Josephine's uh, breast. So he, uh, he, when he was away from home, he was drinking <laughs> champagne in a glass shaped of the uh, Josephine's breast. And uh, my comment was always, uh, good thing he didn't drink it in a flute, actually. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, so we don't know if it's true or not, but uh, it's really not the best way to drink champagne because the whole idea of champagne is the bubble. So the bigger the surface of the glass, the faster you're going to lose your bubbles. Mm -hmm. And it was actually during the 30s or early 40s in Hollywood, there was a trend uh, at the time of May West and those kind of movies. Mm -hmm. There was a trend to order champagne and pull out a little silver or gold thing out of their pocket, and which looked like a tiny little whisk. Uh -huh. uh, and they would just whisk off the, bottle, the bubbles of the champagne. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, it was a fashion for a while to remove uh -huh. the bubbles from the champagne, which is completely 
uh, also pretty insane. I mean, uh, yeah. you know, <laughs> drink white wine if you don't like the bubbles. Uh, Champagne is an e extraordinary wine that uh, needs to be opened at just about any occasion. And uh, I always thought that it's definitely the, the, the best thing. There's nothing better than a, a dim light, a bottle of champagne, and uh, uh, watching the, uh, the eyes of a beautiful lady sparkle. Uh, while she drinks champagne. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is how it goes. Uh, wonderful stuff. That's my story on champagne. I, um, I actually have a couple of uh, uh, stories. We just find, I just found here, Donna, my wife, had her birthday party uh, a few weeks ago, and I was looking from uh, champagne, and I found a champagne from Canard du Chêne, and uh, I was very, very surprised and happily surprised to find that champagne because my mother and my aunt, uh, her sister, went to school with Jacqueline Canard when they were little, um, who were, of course, from the family of Canard du Chêne. So I don't know if the champagne is still in, there, in, there, in, the, whole, in the family, but uh, uh, I, too, grew up uh, meeting Jacqueline and her daughter, Catherine, uh, growing up and uh, hmm. regularly every summer, kind of interesting. And obviously, uh, growing up, my parents and my uh, the whole family mostly drank Canard du Chêne. So it was kind of a fun to drink it together yeah. uh, forty years some uh, forty years later. It's from oh summer. wow! And those are the old ones that are carved. And today they're perfectly square. There's no more pictures because they carved them with uh, with machines. And that's the see that's the bottles on the uh, on the racks. That the guy shake every day and then he tilt them a little bit. I need to go to Champagne. It's a great, uh, great thing. Great tour, great, uh, wonderful. Uh, it's just, it's just the best, the best wine in the world. Yeah. Very good. And by the way, I don't know if I said that. Uh, Champagne is the only the wine from that region. Is the only one um, protected. Oh, this is also a funny story. The uh, yeah, Champagne protected the name all around the world, mm -hmm. except the United States. Because when they protected the name Champagne, I believe it was about a hundred years ago, uh, during Prohibition. Mm -hmm. uh, well, Prohibition was not didn't happen a hundred years ago, a little later than that. But uh, they protected the name all over the place, all over the world, and Australia. And when they uh, came in the U.S., the Americans said, "Well, we don't drink here. We have Prohibition." So the French said, "Okay, then forget it." <laughs> and uh, today, actually, this is the only place where you can make a, a bottle of uh, a, a, a whatever. A, you know, some uh, some wine and uh, yeah. uh, add into it a little 7-Up and a little bit of uh, <laughs> carbon dioxide and you can call it champagne. Oh, I didn't know that. So, yes, uh, the German actually makes some... Um, the French are not the only one to make a, a decent bubbly. Right. Uh, but they're the only one to allowed to call it champagne. Uh, the German call it Zecht. The Italian call it uh, Spumante. Mm -hmm. And the uh, Spanish call it Cava. Uh, and the rest of the uh, English-speaking worlds call it uh, sparkling wine. But if you do say champagne, or champagne, whatever you want to say it, uh, it has to come from that very small region of France. And usually you pay a little more. But uh, And interestingly enough also, it is extremely rare to have a bad bottle of champagne mm -hmm. because each bottle has been handled 150 times in its uh, period. And the guys that actually shake the bottles yeah. get bonuses for bad bottles they, pay, they pick out. So probably the bottle is cloudy or something mm -hmm. and they just, when they see a, a bottle that's not going well, they put it aside and the guy gets a bonus of, I don't know, I don't know how much he gets paid per bottle uh, that he pulls out. Mm -hmm. Because I was told that, a, and of course the seller, the temperature in the seller uh, are extremely important, which I think is like eight degrees Celsius 
all constant all year round. Very important because as the bottles are packed up uh, in pile next to one another, if one bottle explodes, you have a chain reaction, chain reaction, <laughs> and then you can lose you know thousands of bottles. Yes, so it, it's really a great, a great visit and an incredible, uh, incredible story about champagne. I mean, considering that uh, that thing. I mean, they've been making wine for over two thousand years, and they're making uh, been making bubbly since the seventeen hundred. Uh, pretty, uh, pretty cool. Yeah, it's pretty incredible. So, if you were to have a glass of champagne with a meal or with food, is there anything that pairs with it? Well, actually, champagne is really the only one that pairs with anything. Mm -hmm. You could do an entire dinner with champagne. Yeah? It's uh, it's obvious that champagne will work better with dessert, with white fish, with meat, white fish, with fish, with white meat, and things like that. But uh, uh, so champagne is often drunk either before uh, before a meal, your champagne reception, and uh, or then uh, champagne again with dessert. Mm -hmm. Or as I said, if it's a fancy uh, fancy dinner, then champagne all, uh, all night long. Yeah, that sounds good. And champagne also can be sabered. Too bad we don't we don't have a video. We just saber champagne. I actually have a funny story. Um, oh, I was going to ask you about that one day. Yes, you uh, you cut you cut the, the top. What you need to do is remove. You need to remove very carefully the little metal cage, uh, or at least remove all the silver foil mm -hmm. that's on top of the bottle of champagne. So your the blade of your sword or a huge chef knife. I usually use a, a big twelve inch chef knife, and I use it. Uh, I hit the neck with the back of the knife. Okay. You know I mean? So I don't destroy my blade, uh -huh. but you actually slide the uh, the blade on the neck, hold the bottle by the bottom, slide the blade on the neck, and boom, just go up and hit that little ridge, the glass crack just at the at the at the cork, and uh, you shoot out the cork with the ring of glass. So okay. you actually break the uh, the neck of the bottle. So not a good idea to drink at the bottle right after that. <laughs> Actually, champagne is not a good wine to drink at the bottle. Difficult. Um, and I used to, um, when we were first married, uh, we used to drink a lot of champagne. Yeah, we used to drink. Yeah, we used to drink a champagne, a bottle of champagne just about every night. And what I used to do is open the um, the sliding window from the kitchen living room and saber the champagne <laughs> and, and throw the throw the cork and the glass in the in the backyard and then I um, so it was like every night um, and sometimes it was more than one bottle if we had guessed. every Sunday or Saturday when I when I cut the grass mm -hmm. I had to wear big long boots <laughs> because I would then have a piece of glass that would uh, with a cork oh, that would shoot out of my lawnmower. <laughs> okay. How long did you live in Champagne for? I actually moved out uh, when I was six years old. So I didn't drink much, champ much champagne when I lived there, but um, I um, I had my share since. <laughs> Catching up ever since. <laughs> if you notice, actually, I don't drink anymore. That's one of the reasons. <laughs> I've had enough. <laughs> I need to add one more thing about champagne. I was talking earlier about the bottle of champagne that has a, the indentation in the, in the, in the bottom mm -hmm. for, um, to reinforce the glass uh, as you have about six atmospheric pressure in a bottle of champagne. You may have heard of Cristal. 
yes. champagne. Cristal is made by a, uh, a house called Roderer. And Roderer, all the, the big champagne houses have been around for hundreds of years. And uh, Roderer was the favorite champagne of Tsar Nicola of Russia. Mm -hmm. And all the way until the Bolshevik Revolution, uh, 1917, oh, it's next year, the revolution. Uh, all the way until the revolution, um, actually things were going, start going a little, uh, a little heated for him. And uh, he knew that somebody wanted to blow his, um, his butt out of the place. And uh, so he was completely paranoid and was convinced that they were going to kill him. And he uh, drank a lot of Rodrer champagne. And he was always afraid that somebody would put an explosive underneath his bottle of champagne, <laughs> uh, since there is a little hole there. And uh, you notice also that uh, champagne uh, light affects champagne, so champagne is always in a dark bottle. Mm -hmm. So he couldn't see unless he lift the bottle. So he was afraid there would be an explosive and they would blow it, blow him up. So he asked Roderer to make a champagne in a clear bottle. And he didn't want a, a, a green bottle, he wanted to see through it. And he asked them to make a bottle with a flat bottom. Mm -hmm. And Cristal was then made by uh, Roderer, made a Cristal Champagne over 100 years ago, for, especially for the Tsar of Russia. The bottle was called Cristal because it was made by Baccarat Crystal at the time. Oh. And if you look, today it's not made by Crystal and by mm -hmm. Baccarat anymore, it's just a plain glass. But if you look at a bottle of Cristal, if you have a few in your cellar, uh, <laughs> look at it cl closely, you will notice that there is no indentation in a bottle, it's a flat bottom, but you will see that the, there is at, lynch, at least an inch of glass in the oh, bottom to of it, it to reinforce the whole thing. So Cristal was a clear bottle with a flat bottom, so it uh, you couldn't put an explosive into it. Another uh, a fun story actually about Cristal is you probably know that in the late uh, late uh, 1900 and early 2000, the uh, Hollywood rappers were drinking Cristal mm -hmm. was their favorite champagne because it was the most expensive. Um, and they talked about Crystal in their song and all in the hip hop thing yeah. and stuff. And uh, uh, in the early 2000s, the CEO of uh, Roderer, I forgot his name, made actually a public announcement uh, asking uh, all those Hollywood hip hop artists to not to mention his champagne because he said, I really don't think our champagne should be mentioned in songs that talks about raping women and killing cops. Um, I don't know what songs he was referring to. I'm not much into hip hop. I wasn't much then. Um, so, but apparently that's what happened. So they got all pissed. I wish my son, my son was here, were here, he would tell me immediately uh, who, who did that and what happened. So the um, the hip hop artist got all pissed off at him. I said, "Fine, we don't buy your champagne anymore." And he said, "Thank you," which was a very odd. Yeah. marketing and marketing plot but uh, interesting enough there is another champagne house called salon mm. uh, at the time who was also been around for a while they immediately jumped onto it and said hey guys if you want <laughs> if you want sure. champagne at four five six hundred dollar bottle uh, we can make one for you so uh, salon now uh, is has become kind of took over the uh, hip-hop hip <laughs> things and salon sell a bottle of champagne at four five hundred dollars for uh, whoever uh, uh, wants to buy it. So when I used to work at a club in Scottsdale and I used to do bottle service, sometimes people would get Cristal and this one guy was trying to impress a girl 
and it was her birthday, so we got a few bottles of Cristal. But he requested fruit purees to put to mix it to mix in with the Cristal. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She left him. No, uh, no. Uh, she, she wasn't. I mean, I don't think she. They weren't even dating. She wasn't interested in him in the first place. I don't think. But yeah, it's she a was there to drink. A little, little bit of shit, but hey, what are you gonna do? Yeah, that's it. I'm pretty sure I'm done now. Thanks for listening to the Food Connection podcast. Food Connection is brought to you by Classic Cooking Academy in Scottsdale, Arizona. You can find us at www.ccacademy.edu 